All right, it's race week again, and we're back with your Maxxis Tyres pre-race show for Val de Sol. Maxxis is synonymous with racing and is the name that comes to mind when you think of performance. So it's no surprise that they've won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup and EWS racing. No matter where or how you ride, Maxxis has got the tyres for you with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. On my Enduro bike, I've got the DHR2 Max Terra Double Down on the rear, paired up with the Asagai in the Max Grip compound up front using the slightly lighter XO Plus compound. On the downhill bike, I've got DHR2 front and rear, both with the DH casing using the super grippy Max Grip compound. Both those setups work great for me, but check out the entire catalogue and see what you think would be good for you. You can check out their entire range of Maxxis tyres over at maxxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at Maxxis bike. All right, Val de Sol is back, a track that takes no prisoners and has a reputation as one of the gnarliest tracks on the circuit. Can some extra dirt on the hill help things this year? Who's going well and what's it going to take to win? It's time to join Chris Kilmurray to find out. So without further ado, here's our Maxxis tyres pre-race show for Val de Sol. Chris Kilmurray, welcome back. We've got another World Cup coming up rapidly in front of us this weekend in Val de Sol. Uh, but we've had two weeks off or a week off. Uh, how have you been a since then? You, you've just had you've just had post traumatic stress disorder from Stone King. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty confused. I flew in last night, uh, and th- we're recording this first thing Tuesday morning, and I definitely feel like most of my body is still asleep. You'll be right. You'll the recovery curve will come your way soon. You'll be fine. Yeah, give it a couple of days of uh, active recovery. I think would be all good. But yeah, look, before we dig into um, to Val de Sol, just give us some of maybe your quick reflections back on Leagang. We had some pretty outstanding performances. Two home wins from Valley Hall and Andreas Kolb. It was it was another great weekend of racing. I think. Yeah, amazing, and I think can't really understate how how much Austrian downhill has changed in such a short period of time. You know, it's it's gone from being like a sport that had no high-profile athletes in the country where, you know, alpine skiing dominates, and well, obviously still dominates, you know, in, in the public psyche. But now here you've got, you know, a, a double winner in ma- male and female categories and two amazing, amazing racers and athletes in, in Valley and Andreas. So, yeah, cra- crazy race. Um, Andy made some mistakes in his race room, but kind of got close to what you you could pull out of that track on the day mm-hmm. uh, and other riders you know like jackson and finn and, and loic did better elsewhere but made mistakes in other places that were more costly than andy's mistakes so i think when you when you kind of look at it reflect on it look at the times look at the splits it was just like pure racing at its best and then on the flip side for the women valley just dominated so you know amazing racing for for a different reason in in that category so yeah, yeah. crazy crazy race and got super lucky finally got the woods in the dry at the bottom which totally changed the duration of the track the physicality of the track and most of the riders and definitely everyone i i coach said that leo gang was way less physical than lenzerheide just because of how less rough it was interesting yeah that is a big change from previous years where it's been a bit of a battle of the yeah. somme through the through the lower woods and um yeah like you say valley did for, i think from the get-go really that weekend dominate she looked like she was super hungry for that result. And I guess that makes Valley pretty dangerous. Like she's got that momentum. She's got that belief growing now. And it's cool to see her execute a, a, like an aggressive run top to bottom and not have any issues. Because in the past, that sort of yeah. caught her out a little bit. 
totally 100% she, she's maturing as a racer um, whether it's taken longer than it should or not is, is kind of irrelevant it's everyone's on their own path and there's no there's no perfect way for athlete development to roll so she's she's doing her thing and she's learning slowly but surely how to execute amazing you know winning race runs world-class race runs uh, yet to be seen whether she'll do that on a, on a track like here in Val Soli, where it's things are you know starkly different to last well, to Leo Gang's track so I think it's just yeah it's shaping up to be an extremely exciting season Valley did the 1-1-1 in Leo Gang so she won quality semis and finals um, it was kind of a question mark whether anyone would have been able to do that this year so Valley's already ticked that box Jackson got pretty close to winning um, probably should have won in Leo Gang and that would have meant that we had first year juniors winning the first two men's races if Jackson had got it done which is would have been ridiculous so I think just generally in all directions is shaping up to be a pretty insane season. So here we yeah, are definitely. on the Black Snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk us through the Black Snake. The track in uh, Valdesau has a hell of a reputation that has kind of developed throughout the years as the tracks change, right? Initially, it was kind of this loamy, rocky track. The loam's gradually been removed from the hill over many, many tyres passing over it. And last year it was... Um, maybe a not a particularly loved track by most riders. It was very brutal and quite hard to ride uh, in a race, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, um, last year, there just wasn't enough work done. It was the last track of the season, the last race of the season, came off the back of you know, the massive emotional highs of World Champs and Leger, where even if you weren't Loic Bruni or French, I think that that was a huge week for for downhill in general with that many fans and and it being close to the end of the year. And we got here to Valdesoli and and the track just hadn't been given any any love really. There was a couple of sections that got raked out and cleaned up. It got taped and taped pretty well last year. Um, but other than that, there was nothing done to it and it was just brutal, like actual brutality. There's no other word for it. Uh, so it looks like this year we've got give or take the same track. Uh, but they've brought in helicopter slash truckloads of dirt to fill in the holes and to make it a bit more forgiving and to give us like a canvas that the racers can can work with throughout the week and progress with as it degrades and changes, which is kind of what we want in a racetrack, you know? You don't want to get here and have the track already destroyed, written off like it was last year and then have to kind of survive and manage that as the week goes on. Um, you want you wanted the track to progress with the racing through quality semis finals whatever else and that's kind of apparently what we've got this week so same general track layout as last year in 2021 which was a new track layout in sections for 2021 world champs um quite a bit different in places to like say 2017 18 19 and apparently that's it's the same this year minus a few micro changes but they've just brought in a, a, a metric shit ton of dirt apparently <laughs> that's a fair effort from the the track builders because to, to bring that track back from the state it was in needs a lot of dirt putting onto the hill i guess yeah i, I can't even imagine i'll, I'll find someone uh, track related to ask some stats to ask how many how many metric or how many you know cubic meters of dirt they had to bring in or whatever um i'll do some good nerding i'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think find out. It, the ideal scenario would have been to reroute it in another direction so um the section of the track just after the open stuff at the start uh, that you don't see on television and um, before the rock slabs where red bull tv would have picked up a few riders the latter riders last year that in previous years would have been rooted left or right. Um, you know, World Champs 2016, it went to, to riders left. Uh, the years after that, it went full riders right. Now this this version goes in the middle. 
Um, ideally, you know, I think in in our heads, the, the the riders, the teams, the coaches, we would have liked if they just, you know, taped left and right of last year's track and just brought it into like rejuvenated terrain to give riders a fresh challenge of learning the track, of learning lines, which makes things safer initially because you have to go slower to learn as opposed to just going fast from the get-go. But I think the constraints of having bike park tracks uh, left and right of the racetrack now, as well as other constraints to do with forestry and flora, fauna, and whatever other um, bylaws and regional laws are in place to protect the forests. Uh, I think it's getting increasingly difficult in some of these venues to actually just tape into fresh tracks, sadly. So what they've done is probably what you know the best they could have done, which is invest heavily in helicopter loads of dirt, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good on them. And it, it's a track that, like, I think certainly in the state it was in last year was incredibly physical and at the end of a very, like you say, a very long season as well. Most riders were talking about not really knowing whether they'd be still holding onto the bars when they landed off that drop into the, the finish arena. Um, do you think the modifications of, of adding more dirt will like reduce that physicality? I guess the level of like square edges people are hitting will drop and maybe that helps things a little bit. Will it, will it ease the pain? Yeah, it should do. Uh, speeds might increase with it, which you know, when you know, has the potential to increase physicality in, in a different way um, and increase risk to a point. But it it just totally depends on how it develops, how it how it degrades, how it develops. What you know, if they've brought in a lot of fresh dirt, like like apparently they have, um, how compact is it? How well positioned is it? How many different line options does it create or does it not create? They're the key questions we don't know. So we're going to have to see how it develops in practice. And we know pretty soon, even from track walk onwards, from sticking a, a boot and a, and a ski pole into the dirt, whether it's compact in, in the key spots or whether it's going to degrade really well or really poorly, whether that's going to create you know genuine safety risks in terms of the terrain moving under tire. And then you're going to have to like adjust lines or adjust speed accordingly. There's like a load of unknowns for now, which is, to a point it's kind of what you want really you want to go walk track walk the track and start to come to some basic conclusions from your track walk and then develop you know your practice plan from there and then let, let the actual riding help the rider decide what they should and shouldn't be doing yeah and you, you mentioned the risk side of things we've lost you know quite a few riders already with injuries throughout the season the track speeds have been high and the consequences of crashing have therefore been pretty bad for some people um this track it claimed a few people again last year. Greg Minard had a big injury here. Um, do you think the the you know the addition of the extra racing along with the sort of ever increasing speed of these riders presents more risk here than maybe other tracks? Are we are we likely to see more issues? And and how will riders be approaching that both like psychologically and from a, a process perspective throughout the week? Yeah, this is a different kettle of fish than Leo Gang and Lenzerheide, that's for sure. Uh, just in terms of how gnarly it is top to bottom, how steep some of the sections are. It's not as steep as people think it is, especially in its current form, the way, the way it's rooted since 2019, I think, or 18 at the bottom. It's, it's way less steep in, in spots. It just goes left and right. Um, but it definitely has its pitches and its blind crests, which is and its gaps. It's it's it invites a lot of natural kind of rock to rock step down gaps like where Greg crashed last year and that's where you know you just get super unlucky clip a crank clip a chain device clip a pedal clip the bottom of a fork and just get spat over the bars um, I don't think so far we've only had two races but so far semi-finals hasn't increased the risk we've not seen you know red flags or major injuries in semis or finals so far so everyone who makes it that far in a race weekend seems to have their their line choice dialed and their general 
their general approach to racing pretty dialed and that might change as the season progresses so i think it's just the nature of the beast with this track there's a lot of potential gap to gaps and a lot of things that can go wrong because there's a lot of uh, square chunky terrain so yeah uh, watch this space. To be, to be, watch this space, to be seen. But I think the new format, everyone's kind of into their racing and riding stride. The majority of the injuries we saw this year so far happened in Lenzerheide and happened super early in practice. So kind of a, a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of just probably going a little bit too hard too soon in sections that riders knew really, really well. Most of the injuries in Lenzerheide happened in sections that we've, we raced before, so... Yeah, people and, and people were talking at Leergang as well about like trying to manage that build through the week and not get too fast too soon, which makes complete sense. Um, but I would say, you know, Leergang, Lenzerheide, maybe a little more straightforward. And also, like, it, it felt like certainly the past version of Valdesol, like there was a certain sort of almost minimum speed to make the track feel kind of vaguely okay and rideable to kind of get up above some of this chunky terrain do you think that makes this sort of pacing through the week more challenging here like you you almost need to ride relatively fast from the get-go to stop the track from feeling pretty horrible no i think if we're, if we're talking about like the the best riders in each category you know the, the top whatever in each category then really the, the ability level the skill level however you want to call it is good enough like it shouldn't be an issue to shouldn't it should not be an issue at a world a world cup level to roll out a start gate and ride a minimum speed to clear all the features and clear the terrain i think the black snake is so mythic and so everyone knows how gnarly a race week is here that it, it almost lends itself to less issue early on compared to Lenzerheide or somewhere else because everyone just kind of has a bit of respect for it and i think maybe that's what's developed over the first two rounds now as people are respecting the format a bit more and you can you can kind of you know, put responsibility at different people's doors in terms of track taping, track safety, direction, straightness, teams, riders, whatever else. But the bottom line is, unfortunately, the decision to ride fast or slow, to take risk or not, rests with the rider. You know, a large portion of that rests with the rider. So it's up to them to manage themselves and manage manage the build throughout the week, like you said, you know. So I think the, the Black Snake will probably help them here in that everyone knows that they're in for a, a hell of a ride. So... <laughs> <laughs> keep it yeah, cal- keep it calm to start with you know hold on tight yeah and i guess the fatigue on a track like this can be more significant as well are there like techniques that riders use to to manage that fatigue throughout the week you see various pits with kind of ice baths tucked around the back and things like that but yeah i think a lot of people are using similar um strategies you know in, in terms of recovery between day between run between session strategies are using them at all the races now because the riders get used to how they feel with and without them and that sort of stuff so you'll see a lot of ice baths um, hidden away behind behind trucks there's you know the majority of especially the bigger teams and, and the more high profile riders have physios or mas- massage therapists to, to help out in that regard there's a, a really cold river here uh, especially this time of the year you know last time last year we were here in late you know late august early september uh 21 we were here in late july so we're actually here pretty early this year so the river is still freezing with all the snow melts so you will see a lot of riders and a lot of you'll see a lot of social media content with riders sitting in the river here 
Um, gelato will definitely help. There'll be a lot of people consuming gelato to, <laughs> to help with the recovery. But I think, yeah, most riders have the, what they do and don't like for recovery pretty dialed. And then we just look at more specific things. You know, a lot of people will, for various reasons, will complain of upper upper body, especially forearm issues here. Um, maybe less so because of the new dirt being brought in, hopefully. Uh, so you'll see, you know, maybe specific strategies where riders dunk forearms into cold water or get, you know, uh, massages or treatments specifically on the upper body or the forearms. So there'll definitely be a couple of micromanagement strategies added on for, for this track. But by and large, I think riders will stick to the recovery strategies they know well, you know. Yeah. What about the bike set side of things? Well, we've come from comparatively sort of relatively smooth track, I guess, in Leergang. Um, and we've got something much chunkier, much rougher, quite a variation in gradient. Like you say, there's quite a few fairly flat sections mm. and there's a couple of steep pitches on the track. Um, any thoughts on that side of things? And like, are certain riders maybe going to benefit from that? Riders that have got a, a more dialed process for getting the bike ready to go. Yeah, Leo Gang is... You know, nobody really complained too much about getting the bike set up for Leo Gang, but Leo, Leo Gang is kind of a game of two halves. It definitely was previously when the woods were wet. Slightly less lo- so this year with the drier woods and the higher speeds and the slightly straighter taping in the woods. Uh, but, you know, the you need a, a lot of support uh, higher up in Leo Gang for the motorway stuff. You, want, you don't want the bike to be sluggish or, or kind of slogging around when you want to be pumping and scrubbing jumps. And there's a lot of, like, high-speed kind of strange chattery hits further up the hill in Leo Gang and the routes and you want you want the bike to be responsive and precise and then further down in the woods there's a lot of big kind of low speed compression G outs that sort of stuff especially at the speeds we're going so there was, there was a lot of kind of to and fro and trying to balance the bike for upper and lower half of Leo Gang whereas here in Val Soli, it's just the same level of nar top to bottom it's got a lot of square hits it's got a lot of square routes it's got a lot of rocks um, the Previously, the dirt would move underfoot a lot, and then riders would be, you know, battling um, to change setup for for two main reasons, which is, you know, get the front end higher or, you know, adjust the balance. So the weight distribution between front and rear, between pedals and bars, uh, suited the steeper sections of Aldasoli better, especially the lower sections. And and then on top of that, they were looking for a little bit of comfort because, you know, you got a three to three and a half minute run, and you're kind of aiming for comfort. So there was, Valdesoli has its own kind of balance challenges that you're looking for, you know, <clears throat> getting your weight distribution into a good position that's slightly different to your other tracks um, and looking for a little bit of comfort, whereas Leo Gang comfort wasn't an issue. It was just getting the bike to go as fast as possible, you know, but in two kind of distinct ways. So, yeah, yeah definitely. I think there'll be some head scratching, but everyone's got their previous data from last year and previous years here. So I think people will figure out pretty quick unless... You know, you've changed teams, changed bike, changed setup. There's some riders um, that have completely changed everything in the space of, you know, eight, 10 months, nine months. So maybe they'll have, a, you know, a couple of runs to figure out what they do or don't want or like. But yeah, everyone will everyone will get there pretty quick. And if you don't get there pretty quick, you're going to have a tough weekend. Yeah, yeah. And most people these days seem to be running some form of data acquisition. Like they're maybe not the privateer end of the field, but like most teams now seem to have some sort of system to help them get set up. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's it's most teams. I'm not sure what the... I'm sure one of the, the websites, one of the media websites will do some sort of a, a a pit lap and figure out who does and doesn't have data acquisition on bikes. Uh, but it's a lot more common than it used to be. Uh, I'm not sure if it's ubiquitous yet, but it's definitely way more common than it used to be. Um, 
And I think, yeah, if you're getting experience and using it and, and you know what the data does and doesn't tell you and how and how the data can inform change and choice, uh, then it's going to speed up the process super quick. Yeah, for sure. Having said that, the rider needs to ride the bike consistently for the data acquisition to be of use. And that's probably even more challenging here with how hard it is to you know, get a consistent run in early on in practice with so many stoppages. There's like 186 elite men entered. I think 335 Whoa. riders in total, it looks like, which is a lot. It's less than the previous two races, luckily, but it's still a lot. It's still too many. So that that's going to make initial practice. And now we don't have time training. So the more, you know, the top 60 elite men, the top 15 women, and some of the juniors were in time training previously. And that's where a lot of the, the more precise work would have got done for analysis and for data acquisition on bikes. Because you have a clearer track. You've already had, say, four practice runs under your belt. You know where you're going. Would have made things a lot easier. We don't have time training anymore because we have junior qualifying uh, on Thursday afternoon instead. So... Yeah, uh, data acquisition can be helpful, but it's not like you're out there on, on plenty in Morzine getting 12 laps in, you know, nice and nice and casual. You've got a two and a half hour window to get your, to learn your track, to get your runs in, to feel comfortable and to gather your data and make your changes. So I think if you are using data acquisition, it's it's a weekend long process right up to the end of qualies or just before qualies or whatever, you know. Yeah, a lot to do. What What's the general feeling from riders? Are people starting to settle into this new format? Because it is like quite significant amount of change to the structure of the entire week. Like you say, it's not just the addition of the semis and the, and the number of riders we cut to, there's quite a different structure for the whole week. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll definitely know more after this race because this is like the natural watershed in, in the season now. So, you know, we'll have three rounds done uh, and then we're going to have four weeks off until world champs, give or take. So once this race is done, especially on this track with this new format, I think then we'll start to kind of, solidified the feedback from every from all all stakeholders teams and riders most importantly but teams and staff and and fans and tv viewers and all that sort of stuff um we'll start to get you know concrete feedback after this week but so far it looks like the majority of people well they're resigned to the fact that that's is what it is for the season because that's is what it is but a lot of people are quite liking it um it worked out quite well last week last time out in leo gang because obviously the weather for qualifying meant we had, you know, a few quite unknown names and faces um, leaving the Stargate, you know, in the last 10 riders for semifinals. If that had been finals, it would have been a pretty anticlimactic race compared to what it, what it turned out to be. Um, so it, it definitely looks like from a sporting perspective, it has its, its advantages. Um, from a management perspective and a physical perspective, this race is going to tell us a lot more, I think. Yeah, I guess this is the one that's going to push riders the hardest uh, out of the season so far, probably. Yeah, for sure. And then other places like Andorra with the altitude and the high speeds, if it's as dry as last year, are going to present a different kind of semis to finals challenge. But I think, yeah, physically, um, Fort William would have been a challenge before William's world champ, so we don't have a semifinals. Um, physically, Snowshoe is going to be really interesting as well, as is Mont saint that late in the year for, for this format. Um, arguably both of them just as physical as this for different reasons so yeah. different kind of physicality i think it's it's really important especially from my job perspective to you need to categorize your your physicality it's not just duration of physicality or, or not just linear linear uh, linearly related which is people think of physicality and the, and the word fitness and they're just related to duration and mm -hmm. they think oh someone who races cross country is more fit than a downhiller because their race is an hour and a half long you know, Val is longer and steeper than elsewhere. So therefore it's more physical, but it's, yeah, physicality is, is, needs to be categorized in quite, you know, specific ways. And 
just because of the amount of holes and impacts here, this is definitely one of the gnarliest ones. Yeah. And there any kind of key areas on the track? Are there particular points that you, for example, will spend a lot of time at this weekend or, or does that vary year on year and rider to rider? Well, last year, all of the, the trackside analysis uh, nerds, the line spotters, as I dislike being called, <laughs> the coaches, whatever you whatever you want to call the people that hang out trackside along with the media, congregated in kind of the more gnarly spots. So generally what happens here is that everyone gets into the woods pretty early and finds a spot that looks gnarly and then videos there, whether it actually has impact on results is essentially irrelevant. Uh, we did have some line option sections last year that, you know, got analyzed to death pretty early on. Um, people then tend to congregate in the middle woods, the big rock roll section, kind of just above Teo's Rock or whatever the dog was called, the old course builder here. Yeah. Uh, his little dog had a rock named after the dog where the dog used to sleep on the rock all day. Hmm. Um, that general section is that a lot of people would congregate there to analyze as well. Um, but if you look at the dig into the data from previous races here, it's like a, a genuine game of two halves. Like last year, the race in the elite categories was one at the top. And then both riders, you know, Miriam and, and Loris, who won here last year, they faded to a point, you know, further down the track. They faded a lot in comparison to people who didn't fade, but they beat the people who didn't fade by a lot at the top, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you, basically last year, the race was won by smashing the top and then holding on at the bottom. Whereas previous years, the race has been won by being fast, but conservative at the top and then smashing the bottom. So you can win it. It looks like you can win this race in, in multiple ways. It's just a matter of kind of figuring out what way is best for you and your bike and your setup and your current physicality and your current fitness and your current freshness and all of those things. So it's definitely a, an individual pursuit this week for sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because there's definitely, yeah, very different riding styles. Someone like Loris with a, a light touch, maybe the fatigue that builds in him, you know, riding down that track might be lower than someone with a more aggressive kind of plowing style maybe it's uh yeah different approaches to to solving the same problem i suppose yeah totally like and, and gwyn and uh, dakota norton so aaron gwyn dakota norton got on the podium here last year third and fourth um dak in, in third um and they were real creative with their line choice you know they, they were on that high pivot semi high pivot intense uh both of them plowed their way down the mountain uh aaron f lost a lot of time in sector four the real steep kind of gnarly uh, chunky rock stuff um, but ha had done an exceptional job elsewhere and, and both of those guys took some really creative lines and carried a lot of speed with the creative line choice so they clearly you know worked together to to maximize their approach and the bike and got themselves a double podium out of it and team of the day I think at the time uh, whereas Loris like you said just kind of cat like as he is just kind of hopped his way down the mountain uh, Jackson Goldstone you know, did similar to Loris, but almost a better version, just hopped his way down the mountain and, and probably definitely would have been second, if not first in the junior category. Uh, and Jordan Williams, who won the junior category here last year, beat Loris's elite winning time by almost four seconds. So definitely for now, my eyes are on Jackson and Jordan this week to see if they're going to be right up there. There's no reason why they won't be right up there in qualifying as long as the weather holds. <laughs> Definitely. But also Andy Kolb had a really good year here last year, right? He qualified fastest. I think he won time training and then just yeah. under the pressure maybe just cracked him a little bit and ended up second. But uh, he's definitely in a good place. So that the confidence he seems to have in that bike at the moment to just ride it full tilt is uh, it's pretty yeah. mind blowing. Honestly, a similar level. Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure if his level has, has progressed a huge amount since 
you know, the race here last year, he's he's just been that fast for a while now and, and all the chips just fell into place in Liugang, you know. So, yeah, for Andy, there's literally no reason why not. Like, there's no reason why it won't just be a similar um, outcome for him this week. He's definitely going to be one of the guys to watch for sure. And on the women's side, you know, no Miriam. Miriam absolutely smoked all the other girls here last year after having a, a shocking qualifier. I can't remember if she crashed or punctured in qualifying. I think it was a puncture. Mm-hmm. Um, Valley qualified fastest, but then had, you know, like a, a kind of a somewhat lackluster race run. So it will be super interesting if, to see if she can turn around her her performance here from last year. This year, I'm not sure if Rachel's racing. Uh, Tani and Phoebe are definitely really keen to, to you know, get the podium together. Uh, Marine's on the up against the women's category is stacked and we've definitely got a few a few ladies who could do quite well here, who've done well here in the past, who kind of slot under the radar. Um, Cammy will do well here, but she's definitely not under the radar. But her teammate, Monica Harasnik, you know, podium last time out in Liu Gang, um, almost won the race here in 2018 when Tani beat Rachel by 0.1 of a second um, and has done exceptionally well here in numerous sectors over the years. So Monica will be one to watch, as will a few of the other females. So it's going to be exciting, an exciting week, yeah. Definitely. And how's the weather forecast looking at the moment? I had a, a quick look and there's maybe some storms and bits of rain rolling through the valley. I remember 2018 here, similar uh, similar weather forecast, you know, localised storms, the classic kind of June alpine weather. Uh, the storms just grow from the heat in the valley and they'll start at one point in the valley and work their way, you know, um, up or down, depending on what way the winds are going. And I remember 2018 qualifying here, you know, started to qualify, started to warm up with um, Tane at the top. And the black clouds were, you know, further down the valley here. Um, so further um, east of here, past a little village called Demaro. And you could see them kind of coming towards us. And I said to Tane, now I won't get here in time. <laughs> you know, you'll have dry dry qualities or whatever. I was trying to just keep things positive and, uh, and casual. And then I'd say no more than three minutes after I said that, the raindrops started to just kind of drop <laughs> beside us. And they were huge. They were like, you know, the size of a, the size of your palm, basically, the raindrops. They were massive. And then within another six or seven minutes, it just started to pour. And by the time Tana got to the Starcade, it was just like, just sending people. It was like, you know, trench warfare, just climbing, <laughs> climbing over the top of the trench to run to your death. Um, <laughs> and, they had like the gnarliest qualifying session of their lives. And then the elite men just had the even more gnarly because it just kept raining for the elite men. I remember Reese Wilson passed out Charlie Harrison mid-run and Charlie passed him out again. It was just carnage. So the weather forecast looks like something similar later in the week. So fingers crossed it's not going to happen. Yeah, definitely. It's always good to have fair racing, but it also it's interesting to see riders deal with challenges like that as, uh, as some people were thrown in... Uh, in Lear Gang, we're on we're on round three now. Uh, there's, a, I guess, a little bit of an overall story shaping up and a picture coming through. So Camille Balanche leads Rachel uh, and Valley in the women's overall, and then Loic leads Finn and Loris uh, in the elite men. Interesting, I guess, that both the overall leaders haven't won a race yet. It's sort of maybe starting to show that this ability to be consistent and kind of clean through a weekend is is paying off for for cami and loic yeah totally um cami and loic are leading the series um they definitely got the speed too it's not just consistency both of them have been very close to the win you know mm-hmm. uh, so i think yeah you, you can't what you can't have is you can't have a poor 
semis or a poor finals if you want to win the overalls, which is yeah. what which is what you know Andy and um, Andy and Valley have had in in some ways and and then you, when you're as consistent as Loic has been you know like P2 P3 P2 P3 in every session winning semis in in uh Lenzerheide as well or in Leo Gang whichever or both maybe um so or did Finn win semis in Leo Gang there's too, yeah, there's Finn, too much yeah. racing already I can't <laughs> yeah. yeah Finn did yeah I can't even remember there's too much racing but definitely top 3 in semis and finals is king so you need to be consistent and fast which is definitely the way that the points are shaping up. Whether, you know, down the line, that means we need to reduce semis points a little bit more to, to really reward the wins uh, in finals is, you know, TBC. Um, but you need to be fast and you need to be consistent. You can't just be one or the other. So crazy. Yeah, yeah definitely. And cool to see a few um, riders that have maybe struggled a little bit in the last couple of seasons starting to work their way back as well. Lucas Shaw is one that really stands out, like a rider that, showed what he could do you know quite a long time ago now where he had that season of qualifying fastest on multiple occasions and he's had a rough ride and yeah it's exciting to see these riders coming back up and just like that the population the amount of riders in that kind of top 10 capable group or top five capable group in both categories now is is pretty scary i think yeah so many yeah and i think that the new format really it rewards you if you do make the top 30 in the elite men Especially the, the the women's format probably needs an adjustment because getting ten to the finals is a little bit unjust, seeing as yeah. how many race winners are in that ten versus how many race winners are in the men's top thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know maybe the women need the fifteen in there just because like Tani last week had a had a, a crash in like the worst of the worst points and you know places on the track and missed out in finals by point two of a second or something. Um, and so there's a lot of women maybe not getting the opportunities because the opportunity to run finals is, is really important. So maybe that needs an adjustment. But for the men, you know, 30 is relatively fair minus the fact that it's so tight between like 29 and 20, 39 type thing. Um, but if you do slot into finals like Joe Breeden did, who's had, you know, the toughest of tough times the last four seasons or so, yeah. uh, you do slot into finals. It, it kind of, you know, you get yourself on TV, you get to execute a run again on the same track, you get to figure things out, you get to compare yourself to your peers under similar conditions. It's it's pretty rewarding. So I think, yeah, it's it's so interesting to see how many fast riders there is in, in, in that top 30 elite men, especially. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how, you know, like you said, riders like Lucas Show have had a couple of up and down seasons, how the format and just how this season, you know, treats them basically. And Luco especially was phenomenal on the motorway. And that, that's how he got his podium was because of the motorway in Leo Gang, as was Tohoto, uh phenomenal all week on the motorway in Leo Gang, in practice especially. Uh, and he got a good result, not solely because of the motorway, but definitely helped by the motorway, same as Luca. So super inter- interesting to see the contrast um, in the demands of the track here and how those sorts of riders who excelled on, on certain types of terrain the last two races, how they deal with this and how they stack up compared to their competition here. So we're getting, it's a pretty complete, you know, race season. Uh, unlike other racing disciplines, we've got huge variety in the track demands. So it, it's really cool. You know, like Alpine skiing does not have this level of variety. Um, motorbike racing, you know, on track and car racing on track does not have this level of variety in surfaces and demands. Motocross maybe kind of does, but probably doesn't supercross definitely doesn't so i think for the fans we're in for uh if you do if you're nerdy enough to pay attention to the details of of how how the tracks change the demands on the equipment and the rider it's it's so interesting 
Yeah, it's an incredible season and uh, it's already been very exciting and I'm sure we'll be treated with another incredible race to watch this weekend. So I'll uh, let you get on. I'm sure you've got plenty of things to do and riders to get ready. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing how the race unfolds this week. It's going to be another good one, I'm sure. Yeah, just say some say some prayers to whatever God you believe in that the weather, the weather holds tight. <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. All right, Chris, we'll have a good week and uh, we'll be in touch soon. You too. Hope the recovery goes well. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that's it for this Maxis Tires pre-race show with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thank you to Maxis for supporting this season. Maxis have incredible tyres for you, no matter how or where you ride. So head over to Maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. Here are a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you'd like copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. If you want to help support the show, then you can set up a regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>